Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Episode 220 for the love of the game on the Believe Podcast Network is brought to you by Bet Online, your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf. We've got tennis coming up. The U.S. Open is around the corner. We've got NFL futures, college football futures, and you can find all this great stuff at Bet Online. Head to the website or use your mobile device. Sign up today and get in on the action. Use promo code BLEAVE. That's B-L-E-A-V to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts with that said. Episode 220 for the love of the game. Let's get this work. She was a model for a year and a half And then she took her pins out And her hair dropped down to a calf I knew a man, he was just up north And would've got left up north But he was the chef up north Anyway, I'm K-I-Double All I do is get dough, spit flows Try to stay out of trouble If you ready, we can move Just lose your man or hit the dance floor I'll show you how to do my dance Welcome back, welcome back Episode 220 for the love of the game On the Believe Podcast Network With yours truly, it's Aaron Tobin Has AT back in the saddle, back behind the mic, and what I thought was going to be a very short monologue, even shorter than last week, as I proclaimed last week was the shortest ever, then an old friend of mine happened to do something a little crazy, and it gave me a little bit of what to talk about. Again, baseball season in New York is done, Mets, I don't care, Yankees, I don't care, We are on the precipice of NFL season actually mattering. I don't watch preseason. Don't really read too much into preseason. But we are only weeks away from NFL regular season. We're going to be talking fantasy football and some strategies in today's segment with a first-time guest. Hopefully he'll be a recurring guest. He's a Giants fan just like me. But back to the major news topic at hand. My old buddy, James Harden. Well, he gave me something to talk about. James Harden opted into a contract extension. He was looking for a long-term deal. He opted into his contract with the Philadelphia 76ers, hoping to be traded, and nobody seems to want to trade him. So then, while he's on his tour in China promoting his sneakers, selling his wine, making weird TikTok videos, doing whatever he's doing, James Harden, at an event, for Adidas, I think, said that he never wants to be a part of an organization that Daryl Morey is a part of, and that Daryl Morey is a liar and a snake. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but that's what he said, that he's never going to be a part of an organization that Daryl Morey is a part of. Adrian Wojnarowski talks about that he's about to make it very uncomfortable for the Philadelphia 76ers. Daryl Morey has always been his guy, might I add. He's basically been the biggest James Harden stan. He pushed for James Harden to win an MVP when they were together in Houston. He never should have won that MVP when he won it. He never deserved to be runner-up all the times that Daryl Morey was pushing him to win it. Whatever. Daryl Morey is his guy. James Harden is Daryl Morey's guy. And now we have a rift because of what was appeared to be a promise that after James Harden took less so they could sign the likes of P.J. Tucker and improve the rest of the team, James Harden took a little bit less than Max, and he thought he was going to get it on the back end, and it didn't happen. Daryl Morey said that he would trade him if he opts in. The trade hasn't materialized because we know that Daryl Morey likes to get a lot for quote-unquote star players, and let's just face it, I don't think anybody really wants to deal with James Harden's shit anymore for however great of a player as he used to be. Again, I'm not a fan, but he's not been all that great for a while now. And considering, let's look at the history, last couple of years, he had everything he wanted in Houston, got all the roster moves he wanted, 
weren't getting over a certain wall. I'm going to ask out. I'm going to get fat. I'm going to ask out. He gets traded to Brooklyn. Then he turns down a contract extension in Brooklyn, a max extension. Yeah, Kyrie Irving probably had a lot to do with that with his crazy ass. Gets his way out, forces his way out, and now he's in Philadelphia. Skills start to decline. More crappy performances in the playoffs. And what do you know? James Harden isn't getting what he wants. Everybody, or I shouldn't say everybody, but I've seen a lot of people on Twitter siding with James Harden because Daryl Morey didn't negotiate in good faith. My counter to that is this, and I know this is like a crazy concept, right? But like, if time passes and you don't perform to a certain level, to a certain expectation, and then all of a sudden, you may have a wink-wink deal, but nothing in writing. And again, you come up small and you don't perform to certain expectations. Since when are you deserving of what you were able to negotiate before? That's not the way the world works. If you don't perform, you don't have the leverage that you used to have. In this case... You cannot command what you once did. You don't have that value. You don't have that bargaining power. Now, James Harden doesn't have the bargaining power that he once had. James Harden opted into this contract only because his old stomping grounds, Houston, decided that they'd rather pay Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks not that Fred Van Vliet's a better player than James Harden, as flawed as I think James Harden is, but he's an adult. He's not a whiny bitch. He's a professional. He comes in in shape. These are things that James Harden doesn't do. He cares about defense. Another thing James Harden doesn't do, especially when you have a very young roster around you, you want professionals. That cap money dried up. No one else really had cap space besides for maybe the Washington Wizards if they wanted to stay being mediocre. There are no homes for James Harden. So he opted in, thinking he was going to get a trade. And no one wants to trade pieces for him. And now he said he's going to make life very difficult. He could do that. In theory, he could do that. It would also cost him about $389,000 every day of camp that he misses. And that considering part of the collective bargaining agreement that a lot of people don't know is that if he holds out and misses games, the 76ers can also block him from signing anywhere else, including, I believe, signing overseas. James Harden has, has no leverage, has absolutely no leverage here. And yeah, he said that he's open to other trades besides the Clippers, but Who's trading for him? I've been right about James Harden for years. And this is just another example of where Aaron was right. It turns out when in games six and seven of last year's second round against the Boston Celtics, when you shoot one for 11 from three, 26% from the field overall, 11 points per game. You lose game six and seven to lose the series. And when you're one and nine in your last 10 elimination games, when you shoot 39%, 25% from three, no one wants your bum ass, especially when you're getting older. James Harden's best bet to get paid Big money this year is for him to play one year in Philadelphia, cash in, and then he could be a mid-level exception guy if somebody wants that headache. Which, when guys who have been stars and real superstars, and there was a time where James Harden was one of those, who are no longer stars, they end up playing overseas and in China. And that's where I think James Harden should head next.
Where's the trade? Where is the trade for Philadelphia? That they're going to not get 10 cents on the dollar. I don't see it. I don't see it. And it's just wonderful. Which leads me to the next topic, which is directly linked in all this, is Joel Embiid's future with the Philadelphia 76ers. I mentioned it in the last time I mentioned Harden and his trade demand. Well, the biggest casualty in all this for the Philadelphia 76ers is not James Harden, because they don't really care about James Harden. It's Joel Embiid. Because now it's getting to the point where, depending on how this goes, Joel Embiid is one step closer to asking out. I know we poke fun at the taking things out of the social media handles when it talks about the bio, but Joel Embiid took Philadelphia out of his bios for his social media accounts. New York Knicks fans dare to dream because we are one step closer of Joel Embiid to the Knicks being a reality. What the deal will look like, I don't know. I'm assuming Julius Randle will be involved. I'm assuming Mitchell Robinson will be involved. I'm assuming R.J. Barrett may be involved. Whatever it is, whatever it is outside of Jalen Brunson, go right ahead. Go right ahead. The Knicks, this is your time. Now, I don't think anything is happening with James Harden immediately, but if Joel Embiid makes it known that he doesn't want to play in Philadelphia, like, this is the Knicks' time. This is where you cash in the chips. And this narishkeit, as they say in Yiddish, with James Harden is just one step closer to the New York Knicks being in play for Joel Embiid and Joel Embiid being in play for the New York Knicks. So dare to dream, people. Dare to dream, Knicks fans. Thank you, James Harden, for giving me something to talk about at the top of this show. He's the worst. He's the absolute worst, and I've been saying it for years. I've been right on this for almost five years now. Chalk it up to another win in the Aaron was right column. One last thing before we get to tonight's guest talking fantasy football. Quick thoughts on FIBA basketball. I have not been watching a lot of it, full disclosure. I do think the United States is still the best team. I know the power rankings had Spain as the top team going into the tournament. I mean, I saw that roster. Alex Abrinas, Juan Hernan Gomez, Willie Hernan Gomez. It's not doing a whole lot for me right there. I know Rudy Fernandez is still playing. He played in the NBA. He's been a staple playing in Spain. But come on, come on. I know the U.S. is not sending their top, top guys, but Ant Edwards is still somewhere between the 15th and the 20th best player in the NBA. Jalen Brunson is about the 20th best player in the NBA, and he's been awesome. Jaron Jackson Jr. is all NBA caliber. I mean, they still have dudes. They still have guys. And yeah, Canada has the best backcourt with SGA and Jamal Murray. But, uh, come on, the U.S. should still win this tournament. Should absolutely still win this tournament. I know Nick fans are chirping me, saying, did you see R.J. Barrett's last game? Huge game, 31 points, 13 for 14 shooting. I did see it. Am I overly excited? No, I still think he's average. Congratulations on having a huge game in a FIBA tournament, R.J. Barrett. I would trade him tomorrow. And last but not least, Jalen Brunson, who's been... The best player for the United States. It's great to see what he's like when playing with other upper echelon talent, like real upper echelon talent. The fact that he can move the ball, that he doesn't need to be super ISO heavy that he is on the Knicks. It's good to see that. He's just better than I ever thought he was. He's better than I thought he was at this time last year. And what I said was potentially not a great contract for the New York Knicks. I was dead wrong because it turns out Jalen Brunson might be the best contract in pro sports. He's been fantastic and he's underpaid. He's underpaid by a lot. With that said, we're going to switch gears. We're going to talk a little fantasy football with the first time guest. It's almost that time and we're going to get to him in just a matter of moments. So I have the pleasure of having a first time guest, a 
fan of the show, a listener who requested to do a segment, and considering he fancies himself a fantasy football guru, somebody who's very well entrenched in fantasy football, has already done about like 10 drafts, he's a nutcase, so I wanted to have him on, uh, Mr. Dr. Josh Schatzkis. How are we doing, bud? We're doing good. In, in fairness, I don't think I requested. I think you requested of me because you recognized my greatness. So I, I think that that's uh, how we came to do this invitation. I think uh, you had that a little backwards because I know I, if I was doing a show, I'd want me on there about fantasy. Well, you know what? One of my many talents is spotting talents. So I figured it was uh, no time like the present considering we're right around the corner from fantasy football season. There's absolutely nothing to talk about when it comes to New York baseball teams. And it, it, it seems like it, the time has come. So uh, let's uh, kick things off. So I, I, I want to start here because I want to do this a little bit differently. We're not going to go through player lists because you can see all that stuff online. Anybody who's playing fantasy football or has played fantasy football, you can read different things online. Um, but I wanted to do this a little bit differently. So for your preference... Are you more of a snake draft guy or an auction draft guy, and why? So, in a vacuum, I think an auction is more fun because it gives you the opportunity to design your team any way you want, where a snake is so restrictive. Um, I agree. It's, it's easier to put together a group of guys and get them to do snake because... For the casual fantasy football player, that's that's a little simpler to plan for. Um, and as you get older, it's harder sometimes to, you know, accumulate 10 to 12 guys that are for sure going to be involved and in, in part of a league. So um, to the casual player, an auction is a little more intimidating. To the guy who really enjoys fantasy football and feels like, you know, he's ready to do a draft, an auction gives you a lot more liberty to, to, to make your team. But... I mean, Snake's fun in its own right as well. And um, most of the leagues that you end up doing are going to be Snake. So you have to be prepared. It's just two different strategies. So which in your estimation requires more thought or more in-depth strategy? Would you say it's auction because you can pick your team any which way? Or is it Snake because now you have to analyze, you know, average draft spots of each position and such? Right. So it's just, it's, it's two different strategies. They're both strategies. So what really works for me is generally having tiers of players that you like. And so in a snake, you just have to take a guess how many players from a particular tier at a position are going to be left when it comes back to your pick. That's harder to do when you're in the middle of a draft, when you're at an end, um, closer to an end, whether it's towards first or last, then you, you can, you know, part of that strategy is looking at other teams, what they look like they might need or might want when their next pick comes around so that, you know, there's only five or six spots before you pick again, or if you're really last or second to last, then it's just looking at the other team. Whereas in auction, I spend less time looking at what other teams might be doing. I am monitoring other teams budget, but rather I'm going in more with my own design of how much I want to spend at a position. Um, versus targeting specific players. I let the draft more come to me uh, in an auction. If I think there's value right at the beginning, then I'll jump in at the beginning. Whereas sometimes the most money is spent by eager players at the beginning. And and I might sit it out and wait, you know, until 10, 20 players have been off the board before I even buy a player. So I think it's just, they're both strategic. It's just very different strategies. I do think what type of team you end up with um, for example, quarterback, right? So you might make a choice in a snake draft this year because there's elite quarterback options. Um, unlike previous years where quarterback was really, really looked like you could draft like 15 starters and be completely happy with any one of those. There really seems to be an elite tier this year. So you might make a push for one of those quarterbacks in the second round, maybe even the first round if, if you really want to get like a Mahomes or Allen versus in an auction, if you did that, then you're really spending a big load of your money up front and you're you're really just you're changing the entire draft for yourself the rest of the way because 
you know, quarterback in an auction draft, you can usually get somebody for one or two dollars at the end of the draft and it still be a competent starter. Um, yeah. So uh, it really well, changes hold, the whole thing. Hold that thought on QBs for a second because we're going to get to that question in, in, a, in a minute. But in terms of an auction, you said you like to let the draft come to you. But do you go into the draft in an auction draft thinking about am I going to spend big on three to four players and who I really like, you know, go all in on those guys and then let the rest of the roster fill itself out? Or are you more, um, you know, spread the wealth around type? So the answer to that depends on whether it's a 10 or a 12 team league, or there's some people who play in 14 team leagues. Um, I'm generally usually playing in a 10 team league or a 12 team league. I think if, you're in a 10-team league, that is a much easier league to say, I'm going to go big on a bunch of players and I'm going to be able to fill out later in the draft because there's just there's just going to be more volume. Right. Um, whereas in a 12-team league, you know, I, I, I generally want to have more depth because in general, right, there's two extra teams. There's going to be a, an extra, whatever, 25 to 30 players that are going to be taken up by other teams. So the answer to your question depends on the number. For me, it depends on the number of teams. There are people who still take that route even in a 12-team league and figure they'll be able to play the waiver wire later on. That's I, what I, I do just, personally. That, that's my big thing. I'm, I'm, right, if you I pick always the want to get one of the top seven pass catchers because, you know, the league that we play in is uh, points per reception. Um, we also play with uh, – you know, uh, a super flex where you have to start basically two QBs a week. We'll get to that that issue in a sec, but I, I try and get one of the five best QBs, one of the seven best pass catchers, maybe two, and then I'm I'm playing the bargain basement. Right. So that's easier to do in a ten team league. In a twelve team league, and I've I've done a couple of auction drafts in twelve team league. That bargain basement can really end up being really, really bargain basement, and you're going to be looking at week one starting guys that really shouldn't be starting. So um, it really just depends how everyone else played their draft. But, you know, you there's so many receivers that you can sometimes get a guy who sneaks through, you know, in a 10-team in a draft for just a couple bucks. Yeah, That's less likely to happen in a 12-team draft. So, yeah, you might not get Justin Jefferson, for example, but – Nobody's nominated a Jerry Judy or a Chris Godwin yet, and it's late in the draft, and now everybody's got very little money left. If you played your strategy, you might be able to get somebody like that who's a perfectly reasonable number two wide receiver for just, you know, under five bucks um, in, in, in auction money. So, um, hey, listen, there's no right or wrong strategy. Um, I just – I prefer having – some degree of depth and I want to make sure I have a starter at every position so that I'm not killing myself week one and week two. The quarterback, right? So in standard one quarterback leagues, the logic was, you know, a bunch of quarterbacks get stats, even if, you know, passing touchdowns are four points versus six points, but the logic was still the same because quarterbacks get stats. It's a pass happy league. You don't have to spend, you know, a high draft pick or, you know, major auction money on a quarterback. But as you mentioned just a couple of moments earlier, there seems to be a tier this year. So I guess this is a two-part question. If you're in a one-quarterback league and you see that year after year, quarterbacks get the most points, like Patrick Mahomes had the most fantasy points last year, why wouldn't you take Patrick Mahomes in the first round if he gets the most points? Right, so it's all about differential, right? So Patrick Mahomes is going to score you, I don't know, uh, 25 points on average in a given week or somewhere between 25 and 30. But you can get, I'm picking a random guy, Tua, and he's going to score you 22 to 25 on an average week. The differential between where you can get a Patrick Mahomes versus where you can get a, a Tua um is much larger than let's say two is going in, I don't know, seventh or eighth round of drafts versus Mahomes in the first round, right? That, that point differential on average is not, 
is not nearly as large as the differential between a running back and a receiver um, in the first round versus the sixth to eighth round. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, listen, there, right. So if you are the, t- if any of your listeners, the type of people that listen to fantasy, uh, you know, podcasts that are dedicated to fantasy podcasts, analysts, you know, people who specialize in this for their jobs, almost never take quarterbacks early because of the point I just made. If you're right. playing in a league with friends, quarterbacks often go earlier because of the point you just made, which is that quarterbacks score the most. And, you know, quarterbacks are sexy. Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, these are the guys that drove the league last year. And quarterbacks are always going to drive the league. And so in your in your just a bunch of friends playing league, quarterbacks will usually go earlier. What's You asked, getting back to the first question, because you made two parts, you asked what sort of changed. The running has changed, right? So it used to be, right, Michael Vick was like an anomaly, um, the quarterback who would run for a ton of points, and, and that's how they would get fantasy points beyond just their arm. You now have the running quarterback. And, and you also have a shift where many leagues, like you said, have gone to super flex. But even if they haven't gone to super flex, a lot of leagues have turned quarterback to four points per passing touchdown. If you decrease the scoring in your league for a passing touchdown from six to four, the running quarterback becomes way more valuable, right? Because their rushing yards are really giving them a lot of benefit. And so a lot of leagues have shifted to that. If you play in Yahoo, Yahoo's default is four points per passing touchdown. You'd have to change it to make it six points per passing touchdown. And so if it's four points per passing touchdown, six points per rushing touchdown, and it's 10 points for rushing yards, you know, per point, ten, one point per 10 rushing yards versus one point per 25 passing yards, the rushing quarterback is really going to make you a ton of points, even if they suck at throwing touchdowns. So it's just, it's just mad. Daniel Jones. Correct. Right. So that's why Anthony Richardson, who got named as a starter by the Colts today, by the way, um, may be a horrible quarterback, but if they let him run free, you know, even if he lasts only the first few weeks, he could still score a lot of points just with his legs, which is why, um, you know, he's ranked high. If somebody does go read the rankings and prep for their draft, they're going to see Anthony Richardson high up. So I think the biggest advice to your listeners who are casual fantasy football fans is read your settings because the settings will affect where you decide to go at quarterback. But if it's six points per passing touchdown, um, you know, that really decreases the value of a Josh Allen and a Jalen Hurts. Um Right. If I was if even at the top there, if it's a six point per passing touchdown league, I think I'm drafting Mahomes first if I want a quarterback. If it's a four point per t- uh, you know per touchdown passing touchdown league, then I'm probably going Josh Allen or Jalen Hurts even ahead of Mahomes, even though Mahomes is clearly the better NFL player than those guys. Uh, but from a fantasy standpoint, their running ability just makes them the better bet right. from a statistics standpoint. I hear um, that. I, I would. I would still take Mahomes as the top quarterback just because I think his passing is so much better than theirs. Like he could just. But whatever. That's a preference thing. Let me ask you this: Why shouldn't you be playing in a two QB league or a flex league, even if it's twelve to fourteen people? Because no, I- if we talk, you know. If we talk about the quarterbacks getting the most points, like you should never be able to pick up a guy for a week start who could potentially get you 20, 25 points a week. Like those guys should be on rosters. Yeah, so what you're talking about is, and this is why super flex leagues have become so much more popular now, um, right? The quarterback is the most valuable position in the NFL, the real NFL, and probably in all of sports. And yet, as fantasy football was initially designed, the quarterback was basically, you know, pretty replaceable because most quarterbacks can score points. Going back to what we said before about how, you know, even a mediocre quarterback is going to give you a decent amount of fantasy points if they throw two touchdowns in for 250 yards in a given week. So super flex leagues were designed. Well, first two QB leagues. I mean, I've been playing for a long time. First, they came out as two quarterback leagues and then, you know, 12 team leagues, Sometimes you'd have really crummy quarterbacks. So it would be a distinct advantage. So it switched to super flex to allow players to have more flexibility. They can put a quarterback, a running back, any position, wide receiver, tight end, any offensive position 
into that spot. Um, I would say that's become more and more popular. Just, um, you know, I, I would, I would also say that there are certain guys that I, I run a whole bunch of leagues. There are certain guys who didn't want anything to do with the two, you know, the super flex league. Again, if it's a more casual player, you know, these things that move away from what was, you know, considered basic fantasy football 10, 15 years ago, they're less inclined to do auction. They're less inclined to do super flex too complicated for, for the casual guy. Whereas the people who play my super flex league are the guys who are, you know, loving fantasy football the way I do and, and really uh, are willing to give new ideas a shot. And so um, I a hundred percent agree with you. I think super flex is the best type of league because it just increases the player pool of value, you know, um, in a regular quarterback league, one quarterback league, you're going to see Aaron Rodgers not drafted. You're going to see, you know, Tom Brady used to not be drafted. When the Which best players, crazy. like that's crazy. Right. right. When the best players in football are not being drafted because their position is devalued in the game that you're playing, then you have to rethink the game that you're playing, which is where two quarterback and, and or super flex leagues came from. So you and I are in agreement. Super flex is the most fun. You just need to have nine to 11 guys willing to do it with you. That's all. I personally love the two QB league. When my league was doing two quarterbacks, you had to make trades, you know, weekly trades. If you didn't draft a, a second guy, like, or even a third guy uh, for bye weeks, it, it caused all sorts of chaos. It was great. I absolutely loved it. I wish we would go back to that. The irony is, as we talk about the quarterback position being the most important position in fantasy football, uh, yeah, excuse me, in the regular NFL. Running back has become devalued by the NFL, yet for a long time, running back was the crown jewel of fantasy football, right? Because they get rushing yards, receiving yards, they, they get the most touches, they still get the most touches, which is why I thought, you know, the the CBA is a little ridiculous and, and the Saquon Barkley situation that has been resolved was a little ridiculous, but whatever, that's a different conversation. The league obviously changed and passing became more predominant, especially on earlier downs. So now when it comes to running back, has it shifted so much where running back is now actually a, a place where you can get value in a sense where you, you can find an inefficiency? Like where do you stand on the running back situation when it comes to fantasy football now? So this year, well, first of all, the first thing to note is a lot of leagues have also moved towards PPR over the last few years, as opposed to non-PPR or half right. PPR in response to what the NFL was doing, which was going to running back by committee. Very frustrating to play a game where you had to guess which running back is going to get a touchdown on any given week, right? So there's there's some high variation. There's a, sort of an arbitrariness as it is when you play fantasy football. When the NFL shifted more towards away from the bell cow back and more towards the we're going to have two, three guys running the ball and, and you're going to have to guess which one's going to be scoring the touchdown, fantasy football said, well, maybe we need to rethink our scoring systems and we move more towards PPR creates more value for wide receivers and creates more value for that do everything running back, um, you know, who not only is running the ball, but also catching the ball and also introduced the idea of there being the PPR running back, a guy like you used to remember Darren Sproles, um, he barely ran the ball, but he could catch eight to 10 balls. So in a PPR league, Darren Sproles would be tremendously valuable even without scoring touchdowns, he was a good, you know, flex play or even a running back too. I, I still think that the bell cow running back remains the most valuable resource um, in fantasy football. It also has the greatest risk because running backs get hurt, um, you know, but that's the game. So to me, it's all about how you want to structure your team. Um, if you prefer to, like go in with a safer strategy wide receiver is generally going to be safer strategy at the top of your draft as a focus with trying to get at least one high level running back in the few first couple rounds that you feel like okay i have one guy that's my 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 set guy and then 
you know, I will piece it together from these committees the rest of the way. There's some people who prefer to just get two of those, you know, top 10 or 15 running backs and say, I'm set there and I'm comfortable with having a bunch of receivers that may not be as great as the top guys, but I'm going to be set at the position with the most variance, which is running back. Um, you know, and then there's some people who just say receivers are most reliable. I'm going to go all right. It's a zero RB strategy. I'm going to go receiver. I'm going to go tight end. I'm going to get a high level quarterback because running back, there's so much changing in the course of a season. You know, I'll be able to get guys off waivers and, and they take that strategy. It's, it's all that's about gen- that's you know, generally my strategy for the most part, for the most part. Obviously, you know, depending right, on you're just at a huge disadvantage. Right. Sorry, yeah. motorcycle went by. You're just at a huge disadvantage. You're at a huge disadvantage if in week one, week two, while you're waiting for that big running back injury. And to, first of all, you got to be high on the waivers list, right? So that's the other thing. Um, you know, pay attention to what your uh, waivers rules are in your settings because that should play into your strategy for your draft, right? So if it's a uh, something called FAB, F-A-A-B, which is an auction waiver system where everybody bids on a player that they want if you know when waivers comes around then it means you're going to have as much opportunity as anybody um when waivers comes in week one and week two at those hot waiver pickups you know if if um i don't know christian mccaffrey's out for six weeks and elijah mitchell is the big pickup then you you know you want the best same thing versus if it's just waivers is running one through ten and once you make a pickup, you go to the bottom or it's the reverse of standings and you're going to be at the bottom, then you're not going to get that hot waiver pickup and you can't rely on the waiver strategy of trying to pick up running backs because you might want that guy, but might not be able to get him, you know, in the first, when those first couple weeks sort of create those uh, league winners, those, those players that come out of nowhere and suddenly are essential part of uh, your lineup. I caution everybody, by the way, when it comes to the waiver wire, don't overreact to the guy who's awesome week one, like automatically, because most of the time it doesn't translate the rest of the season. Just keep the powder dry a little bit when it comes to the waivers. That's my personal opinion. I, mean, I think that's yeah, the case. At, I think that's the case just about every other position except running back, right? Because as soon as there's a running back injury, you have to do an assessment of do I think his replacement is going to get a lot of touches in the weeks that come? And if the answer to that is yes, then that's worth making the move because it's all about opportunity, especially for running backs, right? If you're going to get touches, like you said, they, they get a lot the most touches. If they're going to get touches, even if they're not the best player, they might be a serviceable piece for, for at least a few weeks. Let me ask you this, uh, moving away towards the pass catchers, would you say that... I lost you there, Aaron. Could you repeat the question? I'm sorry. Yeah, would you say, moving towards the pass catchers, um, more specifically wide receivers, because there's really only one elite, elite tight end uh, in Kelsey who would be grouped in with the top pass catchers. Um, Would you say that it's the deepest group in terms of... Outside the, if you want to use a tier system, outside the tier one system, which I think is about seven guys, would you say you can find closest value to tier one from a tier two, tier three guy in pass catcher as opposed to any other position? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's even lower, right? So I'll give you an example of a player again that's like getting a lot of hype. Sean Payton took over the Broncos. People are in love with Jerry Judy. They feel like Jerry Judy is going to be, you know, this really, really big player. He's been a pretty average player for most of his career. He's been injury prone. There's a new coach there. Jerry Judy is a guy who's probably in like the fifth tier of wide receiver that, you know, a lot of, you know, analysts, a lot of, of, just not even fantasy football analysts. People are like, oh, the Broncos are going to kill it this year, right? And if they're right about that, Jerry Judy maybe moves up into like tier one. So there's there's a lot more availability at the position, right? Because most teams are now playing two to three wide receivers that are value. You know, most good offenses, two to three wide receivers are going to have fantasy value for you. So there's so much opportunity to snag guys that have 
upside and potential of being useful, that I think that's true. In terms of like the difference between one, two, three, and four, yeah, we have tiers of who we're comfortable with drafting, but I think you're absolutely right. There's a lot more receivers lower down that have the potential to still be elite options if everything hits right for them. It's funny you mentioned Jerry Judy specifically because that's somebody I've always had like a soft spot for who I think is is exceedingly talented, has just played with crappy QBs in a crappy situation, but I think is awesome. Like I wanted the Giants to trade a pick for him, to be totally honest, but again. So did I. I'm with, I'm with you. I, that's why I use Jerry Judy as an example because I think I've been heavy on him ever since he came into the league. I mean, listen, um, you know, Shabbat would end and Alabama would always be on. And so watching Jerry Judy play for Alabama, it would that would be like every Saturday night. And I just thought the guy was awesome. I would have loved I the Giants to get him. I still think he's awesome when he's healthy. I still think he's awesome. Right. That's why I use him as an example. And now he's got a coach that actually might be able to, um, you know, make him an awesome uh, receiver in real life and in fantasy. And so that's why I use him as the example in your question. So we think the same way on, on at least one player. Pass catchers. Um, everybody's talking about Travis Kelsey. Uh, he's getting a lot of first-round buzz for anybody who does a snake draft. Obviously, he's going to be the top tight end picked uh, in in auction. He's going to be the top price. He's probably going to be priced out as a wide receiver one in an auction. To you, because he's been doing it a long time now, are you just like penciling him in as a lock to being that guy that he always is, or is this the year where it's time to fade Travis Kelsey? I'm going to assume he's going to keep doing it till he stops. At the same time, I think there are more tight ends that are have the potential to be great besides him. You know, all it takes is one injury, right? Football's funny that way. If it takes right. one injury and then he gets over, assuming no injury, he still should be number one because what he's done is ridiculous. He's a Hall of Fame player, and he scores. He doesn't score like a number one receiver. He scores the same as 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 something in between a number two and number one receiver, just in terms of raw points. But it's sort of like if you play fantasy baseball, the difference between like the top one or two catchers and all the rest of the catchers because catchers such a scarce position. There's, he's just so much head and shoulders above everybody else in terms of what he scores from year to year pretty consistently that you have to keep drafting that way until he does fall off the cliff. It happens to be that this year I think there's some really good, you know, tight end options. It dries up pretty fast, but in a 10-team league, you can get a pretty decent option. It's not going to be Travis Kelsey, but I don't think it's all, you know, guys that are are just going to be hope and prayer each week. I think there's there's probably a good six, seven guys beyond Kelsey that if you can get one of those, you can be like, okay, I have my guy I'm going to start each week um, without having to shop the waiver wire for a tight end. Who's the one guy for you outside of Kelsey that you have your eye on that could be 85% of Kelsey? Well, you can guess who that is. <laughs> and I actually – I'm going right, Darren besides Waller. For Darren, besides for Darren Waller, okay – Besides for Darren Waller, I, I mean, I mean listen, who's the next guy? Okay. Well, but 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 let's just talk about Darren Waller for a second. Darren Waller, you know, if he stays healthy, and I don't know if you follow the Giants beat reporters as much as I do, has been just dominant in camp. I don't think it's ever been a question of Darren Waller's talent. It's always been a question of his health and also yeah, availability, and I think also motivation. I think it just took Josh McDaniels to come from to become very unmotivated, um, you know, once once Josh McDaniels got to the Raiders. But um, uh, aside from Darren Waller, I think that you know a good sleeper is a former Giant, Evan Ingram. I think the Jaguars are going to have a really really good offense this year. I think they have a lot of options and. I think he's a decent target in the – he's not really going as a late-round tight end anymore. He's going as a mid-round tight end because those upper t- echelon of tight ends dry out fast. But if, as long as he catches the ball, he's in a great offense with great receivers, great running backs now, and Trevor Lawrence should take the next step as a quarterback. Well, so. we'll get to the Jaguars in a second because they're part of my one of my big predictions. Um, 
Evan Ingram, one of my least favorite Giants of all time, but he had a monster year last year. But again, he was playing for a contract. So that's not my pick because I can't, in good conscience, give out Evan Ingram with my past history with him. This is the year of Kyle Pitts. I know the okay. quarterback. I know the quarterback position in Atlanta is iffy. It's not great, but I think so, I think this is the year. I listen. I have no idea how injured or not injured these guys are. He's coming off a big injury that ended his season last year, and I believe he's practicing still with the brace on his legs. Now, most of these guys get injured at some point during the season, right? That's the NFL. I want to think you're right because Kyle Pitts was a pretty exciting guy coming out of college. But same way till Travis Kelsey doesn't do it, you draft Travis Kelsey that way, I feel like till Kyle Pitts does it. It's all just potential and, and talk. I mean, look at O.J. Howard, right? O.J. Howard came out not the same hype as Kyle Pitts, but it was he was pretty hyped up prospect. And now he's out of the league and was just cut. Um, before even, like, the final cut. So I'm not saying that's where Kyle Pitts is headed. I'm just saying he's so far an injured player without a great quarterback um, and a team that looks like it's going to be run heavy because their coach came over from the Titans and loves to run the football, and they just drafted a running back with a top-10 pick. So you might be right. Um, I just wouldn't draft him in, like, the top three or four rounds thinking he's going to be – what you're hoping he's going to be. I would draft him appropriately. So what's your one bold prediction for this fantasy season? You can go any which way. What's your bold prediction? I will make them both against the grain. I will make them both giants related. I'll give you two. They're both giants related. um, Since we're both giants fans. Um, One is that Daniel Jones will be a top 10 fantasy quarterback this season. Spice. Okay. Uh, and two is that Darren Waller will be the top fantasy tight end this season. Interesting. Mine is Jacksonville Jaguars related. I think the okay. Jaguars are going to have a top six offense in the NFL this year. I think Trevor Lawrence is going to be a top five fantasy quarterback this year. I love Calvin Ridley. He's going to get drafted too low. I think he's going to be awesome. Um, I am all in on the Jaguars. May I make a couple comments in response to yours? Yes. Trevor, Trevor Lawrence is mostly currently being drafted right now as the sixth or seventh quarterback off the board in most drafts. So I, I think, think a he lot will be of, better than Justin Herbert this year, who's dra- being drafted ahead of him. That that is a that's probably a, a spicier comment. Uh, Calvin Ridley, his his ADP now is moved up. I think on most websites to like the third round Calvin Ridley has really inspired a lot of uh so I think a lot of people are on the same page as you Calvin Ridley is a really interesting player because nobody knows what he's going to be after just not playing for a year but he was really really good till till he disappeared he hasn't played actually in almost two years right because he had to leave I think like in the early part of early to mid part of the season that uh I thought he was hurt when when he um well if I remember the part yeah, that he was in. I think he was hurt and then he was supposed to come back, but then he didn't come back and then it was like vague for a couple weeks. Yeah. So he hasn't played for most of the past two years. So I'm I'm with you on Calvin Ridley. I right, he's a very talented player. Again, a guy that used to be on television a lot on college football on Saturday night. Um it'll be interesting. I, I think the Jags are gonna be good also that the rest of their division stinks so just on that front they should be pretty good and I think Trevor Lawrence is a good quarterback so I'm 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 with you on the Jags oh last one Lions what about him I I think Goff uh is back to a top 10 uh quarterback fantasy wise and I love Jameson Williams. I know Amon Ross St. Brown's gonna get a lot of touches. I just think they're gonna air the ball out like crazy. And I'd I'd look at Jameson Williams who is probably the best wide receiver in that draft class coming into the draft if he didn't have that injury in the title game. It's it's true. It's just he's suspended for six games. So the question is if you're That's in a, a how long how long do you stash him for, right? Because you can't even put him on injured reserve in most leagues. 
most like Yahoo's uh, template doesn't allow us to set suspended player to be put into IR. And, and so week seven is a long ways away. Um, you know, your whole season could be downhill. So it's sort of, when do you draft him? I think in a 10 team league, you can, you can make such a move in a 12 team league. It's hard to invest a, a high pick on him. I think what's more interesting about the lions is what they're going to do a running back, right? Cause as opposed to the Falcons who drafted Bijan Robinson and, um, He's, you know, he has other guys behind him, but they're going to probably run him into the ground. The Lions also went out and signed David Montgomery to a decent-sized contract for a running back. And so it's sort of when do you draft those two running backs? Jameer Gibbs is the sort of more exciting one because he's the rookie. Right. David Montgomery's been a good player for years. So um, the Jared Goff take is, a, is an interesting one. Top 10, I guess it all depends on your league scoring system. Um, right. My Daniel Jones yeah, prediction. Some card in the scoring system that we play with is that everything is six. Right. So in a six team and in a six point league, that the, uh, six point uh, per touchdown league, that's uh, listen, that's a uh, it's a bold take. Um, much of my Daniel Jones take is based on his legs. I mean, yeah. guy's pretty fast for what's he like six five? He's pretty fast for a guy as big as him. I don't. I don't mind the, Jan, the Daniel Jones opinion. Top ten fantasy quarterback. I, I think even score, even with the scoring being six points per touchdown, either which way. Like I think the combo uh, of touchdowns that's not crazy at all. So let's transition there before we get you out. Um, and uh, I appreciate you calling in uh, from the road, being able to do this. Uh, your point. outlook on the Giants for this upcoming season? Are you bullish? Are you bearish? Because me, personally, I can see a world where they are the third or fourth best team in the NFC. I can see a world where they are the ninth or tenth best team in the NFC. Where are you? So, I think I think your take is a reasonable one, right? So, listen, there's, there's, there's the viewpoint I have now when I'm talking to you like a reasonable human being, and then there's the giant fan of me, right? So, I mean, even when the Giants were finishing with two wins uh, the year we got Saquon. Um, I go into every season feeling like the Giants are going to win the Super Bowl. So that that's that caveat going in there. But now let's sort of be hey, rational. Hold, hold on. Don't do that. Like, that's terrible. You're setting no, yourself that's, up for that's, disappointment. That's, that's just how I'm wired, dude. Every year I think this, this is a year we're going to win the Super Bowl. So the NFL – it, it really, right, it's a week-to-week league because a game, an NFL game turns on just a few plays most weeks, right? What, usually at the end of a game as a fan, you look back and you can say, okay, really, if this didn't happen, this didn't happen. It's usually like five plays. And what affects those five plays is, is coaching and execution. And so for the first time in a very long time, I have full and complete faith in our coaching staff. Brian Dable legitimately seems like an amazing coach. Whether or not the team will execute to the level that he's coaching or whether we have enough talent to overcome, you know, a talent differential that still exists, I feel, between us and the upper echelon of teams. You know, I can't answer that, right? The Patriots, the year they went 18-0, were probably better than the Giants, but I think the Giants outcoached them that, that year and they out-executed them in that Super Bowl, right? But the game turns on just a couple plays. I think it's going to be the same way this year because unless you have a team that's so dominant, that like – so great that they're able to overcome poor execution or a poor coaching decision you're usually looking at most teams where it could be a 7 and 10 season or it could be a 10 and 7 season or something in between I would like to believe that because Brian Dable is a great coach because Joe Shane has upgraded the talent for the Giants to a significant degree that even though our schedule is tough for this year that we're still going to be able to overcome that and be a playoff team and then once you get to the playoffs anything can happen so that's my, my personal feeling is that we have enough talent and enough good coaching that we should still be a playoff team. And then talk to me then again, if we make the playoffs, um, that's my rational take on it. I don't think we're like a four and 13 team. Um, I could see games going the wrong way and we end up being like a seven and 10 and, or an eight, and nine versus a nine and eight, 10 and seven, or even 11, and six. If we get a lot of great bounces and, and, you know, Daniel Jones really takes the next step as a quarterback with the increased talent and better offensive line around him. Does that sound like a more reasonable take than uh, we're going to the Super Bowl? Because I always think we're going to the Super Bowl. So, yeah, I, so you're you're basically assuming 9-8. and eight. 
nine and eight. No, no, no. I think I, I happen to think that Daniel Jones is really going to take a step forward as a quarterback. And I'm going to go with 11 and six. Very nice. Uh, I, I would enjoy an 11 and six here. Last thing, I guess, cause it's, it's giants related. The Cowboys are getting a whole lot of smoke. Am I crazy to think that it's more overblown this year than in most years for the Cowboys? Because, like, Mike McCarthy's still there. Like, Dak Prescott, I don't find to be particularly good. Like, what am I missing with the Cowboys? I I think the Cowboys are just a a great talking point team for the media. And so people enjoy, you know – talking about one day one way or the other and if they crash and burn then it it makes it even better i don't think that the talent differential between the giants and cowboys is as great as it one once was and honestly i think if daniel jones takes the next step then the giants are for sure better than the cowboys i think the eagles have accumulated a very deep team and they're really strong along their lines at the same time they're getting older and, and it's like I said before, the NFL just takes one injury um, or a couple of bad bounces of the ball from poor execution, and, and the, the outlook is different. It's In the end, it's all dependent on quarterback play, right? You can get by for a couple of weeks with a strong defense or a strong running game, but to really be that dominant team, you need strong quarterback play. So I'm with you. Dak Prescott is a good quarterback. I think he's always been overrated. I don't think he's ever been a great quarterback. Um I think, I think the Giants will be in it. The Cowboys will be in it. I think the Commanders have a great defense. Um, the, why they went in with Sam Howell as their plan for the season is mind-boggling to me. Um, but they did. Maybe it's because of everything they went through with the ownership. And, um, you know, Jalen Hurts had a magical season next year, last year. I'm not really convinced he's on the same level as a Patrick Mahomes or even a Josh Allen. By the way, sorry. I don't think he is. I just don't. I don't think he is. He had an amazing season, but I do not think that that he's that. And you know, Cam Newton. I don't know. You feel like Jalen Hurts and Cam Newton. That's the closest comparison. Or like a really strong running quarterback that had a couple magical seasons. And I, that's. I just think that Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes are at a different level. I think Joe Burrow is better than Jalen Hurts. I do too. Um, I think. I think. Uh, you know, as a pure thrower. The other thing is how long can he be a running quarterback like that, right? That's the, always the thing about the running quarterback. I think Josh Allen has already started that transition to trying to run less, and they're trying to force him. I think the same thing will eventually happen to Daniel Jones. So, um, you know, you can't run like that forever and then remain an elite quarterback. I think Patrick Mahomes stopped doing it earlier on in his career. He only picks his spots now to run because he knows he gets he get hurt. Yeah. So, yeah, it's- it's going to be an interesting giant season. I'm with you on Jalen Hurts. I'd like to see him do it two years in a row. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if if Trevor Lawrence had a better year. But whatever. I'm 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 in the tank with the Jags. Like I'm just I'm just on the bandwagon. I, I am. I have been for for three years, and it's it's not been very fruitful. But it was great when I did uh, bet them to win outright and get in their playoff game, and they came back to. Uh, you know, from the 27 points down. That was wonderful. Josh, this was great. We're going to have to run it back another time. Uh, Talking about Giants, talking about fantasy. We may get you on to talk a little bit of daily fantasy strategy uh, when you have the chance. And uh, thanks again for doing it. It's my pleasure, man. You have a great podcast. And uh, I hope your listeners enjoy it. All right. We'll We'll speak soon. Thanks so much. Thanks again to first-time guest and now recurring guest, Logan Bartlett, for coming on, talking a lot about the landscape of college sports, talking about the Knicks. You know I could talk about the Knicks forever. Really good stuff from him. Excited to have him back on. We'll check his uh, pulse and his blood pressure during the Tennessee season this season. That's episode 219 for the love of the game. Take us out, baby. Are you ready to move? Let's go. You wanna sit in the cool? Come on. Wanna keep on dancing? Uh, uh, uh. Wanna run in my mansion? Uh, 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 uh. Sit in VIP? Uh, uh, uh. But you just wanna be seen.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.